Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. Tonight's case comes with a trigger warning for infant loss and the deaths of four young children. Kathleen Fulbig is either a grieving mother who tragically and unusually lost four of her babies or she's Australia's worst female serial killer. It really depends who you ask. Kathleen, who goes by Kathy, would lose four of her young children tragically between the years 1989 and 1999. Babies Caleb, Patrick, Sarah, and Laura were between the ages of only 19 days old and 19 months old when they died. Initially, it was believed that sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS, was the cause of the deaths, with at least two of the children. However, after 19-month-old Laura suddenly passed away after a nap, investigators began to take a closer look. There was a diary found where Kathleen wrote long entries about her experience of being a mother. Some people took these to be nothing more than an expression of grief and guilt for not being able to keep her babies alive. Others, including the police, would see these as a confession and an admission of guilt for killing her children. Kathy Fulbig has always maintained her innocence. But ultimately, Kathy would be convicted in the deaths of her four children and ordered to spend up to 40 years in prison. In a recent surprising turn of events, just this past week, Kathy was pardoned and released from prison after spending 20 years behind bars. Some people are celebrating her release as a long overdue success, while others believe that she killed her children and should still be in prison. So, is Kathy Fulbig a mother who has experienced the worst kind of pain imaginable? The loss of four of her children? Or is she Australia's worst female serial killer? Let's jump right in. Long before Kathy Fulbig ever had children, she was plagued by tragedy from a very early age. When she was just 18 months old, she would witness her mother's murder at the hands of her father, Thomas Britton. Thomas was an alcoholic, and he would constantly fight with his wife and Kathy's mother, Kathleen, who also happened to be an alcoholic. The couple would get into these vicious, alcohol-fueled fights while little Kathy watched on. On one occasion, 
Things went way too far, and during an altercation between Kathy's parents, her father would stab her mother to death 24 times. The following day, her father was arrested, and Kathy was placed into foster care. Over the next couple of years, she would be moved around a few times from different foster homes and into a children's home. It's said that Kathy had difficulty settling into foster placements, and she did have some behavioral issues, including having these terrible temper tantrums where she was completely inconsolable. Ultimately, she would wind up living with her longtime foster parents, Mr. and Mrs. Marlborough. Initially, things seemed really great for Kathy in this home. She was well-loved, adored by both of her foster parents, who hoped to eventually adopt her someday. That day would never come, however, as Mr. and Mrs. Marlborough would have their own child, and their relationship with Kathy sadly changed. They began to treat her differently, more like a nuisance and a slave, and less like a child that they wanted to adopt into their family. It's alleged that her treatment in the home, particularly by Mrs. Marlborough, was not right growing up. On her 16th birthday, Kathy was treated to some very harsh realizations by her foster parents. They informed her that she was still, in fact, a ward of the state, even though they had lied to her and said that they had adopted her all of those years ago. She was also told at this time that her father had murdered her mother, and that's how she ended up in foster care to begin with. What a wonderful 16th birthday gift to her. As you can imagine, Kathy had a really difficult time with this news. It also made things really uncomfortable in the foster home, and the Marlboro's treatment of her, it had gotten even worse. She decided to quit school, find whatever job she could, and run away from home. Kathy managed to work several low-paying jobs, and she got by on her own for the most part. Around this time is when she met Craig Fulbig, who was a steel worker at the time. The couple got married when Kathy was 20 and Craig was 26, and they bought a house in Newcastle, New South Wales. Shortly after, on February 1st, 1989, Kathy and Craig's first baby would be born. Caleb Gibson Fulbig was described as a mostly healthy and happy baby, although it was noted in his medical files that sometimes he had difficulty breathing and feeding at the same time. He was diagnosed with something called floppy larynx, which supposedly he outgrew before he passed away on the evening of February 20th, 1989. The paramedics would arrive on the scene of the home and find the baby in his crib pale and still warm. His cause of death would be listed as Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, or SIDS. The term SIDS is used when an infant is found unexpectedly deceased after sleeping, when no other cause of death can be determined. Friends and family of Kathy and Craig said that the couple was devastated after the loss of their newborn baby. They had desperately wanted to be parents, even if it caused tension in the home. And it certainly did cause strain, particularly with their finances. Kathy gave up her job to become a full-time mother, which meant that they were now a one-income family and money was tight. Kathy was also really the sole caregiver of the baby. 
Craig had to work all day as a car salesman, so Kathy would take care of the baby during the day, but she also had night duty. Craig was a deep sleeper, and in his family, they had a history of obstructive sleep apnea, which meant that Kathy was the one that had to get up at night with the baby. Still, they wanted to build a family together. Kathy, in particular, always said that she wanted desperately to be a mother. With losing her own mom at such a young age, and then all of the difficulty in foster care, family was really important to her. So, Kathy and Craig decided to try to have another baby, though they were both terrified that something awful might happen to that baby too. When Kathy became pregnant with their second child, a baby boy who they would name Patrick, Kathy was really excited, but she was also really nervous. Their friends and family rallied around them to support them. Everyone thought that baby Caleb's tragic sudden death had to be a rare occurrence, and it couldn't possibly happen to them again. Patrick Allen Fulbig was born on June 3, 1990, and initially it appeared he was born a healthy baby boy. Both Kathy and Craig were delighted, and Craig even decided to take a few months off after the birth to help with the newborn. When Patrick was four months old, he was put to bed one evening as usual. However, just a few hours later, Craig would awake in the night to the sounds of his wife Kathy screaming. He ran into the baby's room to find Kathy standing there, crying, and baby Patrick lying unresponsive in his crib. The baby was described as pale and limp and barely breathing. While Kathy called emergency services to get the baby to the hospital by ambulance, Craig attempted CPR, and thankfully, he was revived while in the ambulance. Though baby Patrick was alive, he did suffer severe brain damage from not receiving oxygen to the brain for so long. Patrick would later be diagnosed with epilepsy and cortical blindness, all due to that brain damage. He was lucky to be alive. But just four months later, when Patrick was now eight months old, one day after being put down for a nap, his mother found him in his crib, not breathing. Again, the ambulance was called, and when the paramedics arrived, they found the baby still warm in the crib, but without vital signs. Sadly, this time, baby Patrick could not be revived, and he passed away. His cause of death was listed as asphyxia due to airway obstruction and epileptic fits. It's difficult to imagine such tragedy happening and two babies from the same parents passing away one right after the other. Unfortunately, this was not the end of it. On October 14, 1992, Kathy would give birth to another baby named Sarah. In an interview with ABC News Australia, Kathy would say, quote, Sarah was the cheekiest one ever. Run around sticking her tongue out at you if she just thought she was going to get a laugh. Sarah was described, again, as a healthy baby. Aside from having sleep apnea, which was not considered to be abnormal, nor did it reduce the oxygen that she received. She was, however, a loud snorer because of the sleep apnea, and a special blanket was used on her anytime she went down for a nap, which would monitor her breathing and alert if she stopped breathing. (music) 
My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This was their third child and the first baby girl. Friends and family described Kathy as being very attentive to Sarah, though of course for obvious reasons, she constantly expressed worry over her baby's health. 
On August 29, 1993, when Sarah was 10 months old, she was put down for a nap. Sarah had a small cold, but otherwise she seemed healthy. Again, Craig was awoken in the early morning hours by the screams of Kathy, who would find the baby in her crib lifeless. Baby Sarah was blue from not breathing, though she was still warm to the touch, and she was found with mucus and vomit in her mouth. After an autopsy of baby Sarah was conducted, it was determined to be another case of SIDS. According to British child abuse expert Sir Roy Meadows, he said, quote, Unless proven otherwise, one caught death is a tragedy, two is suspicious, and three is murder. But at this point, authorities were not looking at Kathy nor Craig for being responsible for their children's death. The majority of people felt nothing but the most sincere compassion and sympathy towards the couple. Kathy and Craig decided that they needed a change of scenery after so much tragedy, so they relocated to an area known as Hunter Valley. They would spend a few years here before Kathy once again became pregnant. About five years after the death of her last baby, Sarah, Kathy would give birth to another baby girl, who they named Laura, in August of 1997. This time, Kathy and Craig absolutely panicked over Laura's health. They had already tragically lost three babies, all who died before ever reaching their first birthday. When Laura was born, her sleep patterns and her oxygen levels were very closely monitored for several weeks just to ensure that she was actually healthy and didn't have any underlying medical conditions. At that time, everything seemed to check out, and Laura was completely spoiled and adored by all of her family, and she would be Kathy and Craig's first child to make it to her first birthday. She was described as a very happy, healthy, robust toddler even. And she had a big personality. Kathy appeared to be nothing more than a doting mother. It seemed like Craig and Kathy would finally have the family that they so desperately wanted. Everything was picture perfect. Until Laura turned 19 months old and she caught a cold. On March 1st, 1999, Craig went to work while Kathy went to the gym, where they also had childcare. Kathy worked out, and then baby Laura fell asleep in the car on the way home. Kathy said that she transferred Laura from the car to her crib so that the baby could continue to sleep. She still had a cold and was given her medication at around 12.05 p.m. About 15 to 20 minutes later, when Kathy went to check on Laura, she found her in her crib, not breathing. Laura was pronounced dead at 12.45 p.m. An autopsy was conducted. However, this time the medical examiner's office stated in their report that they considered Laura to be too old to have died from SIDS. She was 19 months old, and typically SIDS occurs in infants who are less than a year old. There was, however, myocarditis found, which means the inflammation of the heart muscle, and this is likely due to that viral infection or cold that she had. Her cause of death was listed as undetermined, and due to the fact that she was now the fourth child of Kathy and Craig to have suddenly died in their sleep, a police investigation was ordered this time. Now, here is where it gets tricky. 
there was no physical evidence to suggest that any of the four children had been murdered, and certainly no evidence that Kathy had killed her babies. Statistically speaking, it sounded near impossible that four young children, all from the same family, would suddenly die in their sleep. The issue with SIDS being the cause of death and at least two of the children's deaths only complicated things. When a baby suddenly dies and an autopsy is performed, unless there are signs of external injuries on the child, the determination of SIDS is often used. However, there's no way to distinguish between SIDS and suffocation unless there are also physical signs. None of the four full big babies showed any physical signs that they were suffocated. There were no ligature marks or bruising or anything like that. Even when there are signs of external physical injuries, sometimes that can be caused by the doctors or paramedics trying to revive them. The first three full big baby deaths were deemed to be not criminal because they all could have been contributed to SIDS or an underlying medical condition, like with baby Patrick, who had epilepsy. But with Laura's death, at 19 months old, the red flags were raised. Still, the police had no proof of anything. Back at the full big home, things were getting really tense between Kathy and Craig. With the loss of their fourth child in 10 years, I mean, it's no wonder. After all this time, Craig had stood by his wife, but now he wondered if maybe she had a hand in their baby's deaths. After Kathy left him, leaving behind all of her possessions, he found a private diary that Kathy kept, where she often talked about her experience as being a mother. There were many entries in that diary that appeared to be damning. Craig decided to hand it over to the police. When investigators read through the entries, they were shocked. In one diary entry, Kathy wrote of her daughter, Laura. She said, quote, She's a fairly good-natured baby. Thank goodness. It has saved her from the fate of her siblings. I think she was warned. In another entry, Kathy wrote, quote, I feel like the worst mother on this earth. Scared she'll leave me now like Sarah did. I knew I was short-tempered and cruel sometimes to her, and she left with a bit of help. And in another entry while pregnant with her daughter Laura, she wrote, quote, This time I'm going to call for help. This time I'll not attempt to do everything myself anymore. I know that was my main reason for all of my stress before, and stress made me do terrible things. At the same time, Kathy wrote things like, We're all waiting, little one. When will you come? And she talked of great excitement of being a mother. It would take the police two years to build a case against her that they thought they could win. With this diary in hand, the police arrested Kathleen Fulbig on April 19, 2001 for the murder of her four young children. During the interview back at the police station, Kathy maintained her innocence. When she was asked about the diary entries, she said that everything she had written in there was because she was feeling overwhelmed with guilt because she couldn't keep her babies alive. She denied that anything written was an admission of murder, rather a plea for help, a mother suffering from severe trauma due to the loss of her babies. I am so lucky enough that I've never lost a child after birth. However, in reading her journal entries, 
I really could see how one might interpret it either way. One could say that this was a complete confession, while others can clearly say that this was a mother suffering from the trauma of losing her babies. In the end, it is an admission of feeling extreme guilt, and now the investigators had to prove she was guilty of murder, not just the guilt of an innocent grieving mother. There was one entry in particular that was written on November 13th, 1996, which really just struck with me, and it said, Why is family so important to me? I now have the start of my very own, but it doesn't seem good enough. I know Craig doesn't understand. He has the knowledge and stability and love from siblings and parents, even if he chooses to ignore them. Me, I have no one but him. It seems to affect me so. Why should it matter? It shouldn't. Kathy was clearly a woman with a troubled history, and she was now suffering from the difficulties of that trauma, her marriage, and the loss of her children. But was she behind their untimely deaths? That is exactly what the prosecution was going to have to prove. The prosecution alleged that Kathy killed the babies in anger and then felt remorseful for her actions, so she called emergency services. Her estranged husband, Craig, would testify that she was constantly stressed around the babies, particularly with Sarah and Laura. I mean, one could argue that it was because she had already lost two babies suddenly and tragically. But the prosecution alleged that she was overwhelmed with her motherly duties and wanted to get rid of the problem. The defense countered, saying that Kathy was nothing but a loving, doting mother who took care of her children's medical needs, including taking them to the doctors when they were sick and providing them with medical care and medication. The case against Kathy was all circumstantial. Again, there was no physical evidence to prove definitively how any of the four young children had actually died, and there was no physical evidence to support that Kathleen Fulbig had done it. The whole case really relied on the fact that it's highly, highly unlikely for four young children from the same family to die in such a way. Police prosecutor Daniel Maher would say, quote, While each child's individual death had not raised much concern, their collective deaths could only be attributed to suffocation. One piece of evidence that he pointed to specifically was a report by forensic pathologist Dr. Janice Ofoven that showed, quote, the chances of caught death being responsible were a trillion to one, which would make these four infant deaths practically impossible, according to the prosecution. The statistical improbability combined with that diary is exactly what would lead to Kathleen Folbig being found guilty of murder in the deaths of three of her children and guilty of manslaughter in the case of Caleb. When the verdict was handed down, Kathy wept. Now, Kathy has spent the last 20 years in prison, and that brings us to today, 2023. For two decades, Kathy and her supporters have fought for her freedom. And just this week, June 5th, it was announced that Kathleen Fulbig will be pardoned and released from prison. She's already out now. That doesn't mean that her convictions are squashed, but she's a free woman who no longer has to serve the remainder of her sentence. She had at least five years left. 
An inquiry hearing was held, and there was evidence shown that suggests her two daughters, Sarah and Laura, were born with a rare genetic variation, a genetic variation that could have led to their deaths. As for the death of Patrick, her second child to die, it was determined that he may have died from epilepsy, which was always stated in his autopsy report. Caleb's death, the very first death, is the only one where the cause of death isn't really known, and it could be an actual case of SIDS. With only one child having probably died of SIDS, that takes away the whole prosecution's case, that this was statistically impossible. Kathy Folbig has been released from prison after serving 20 years for the deaths of her four children. She has many supporters who believe that this was a long time coming and that she should be financially compensated for everything that she was put through. While others believe Kathy really did kill her four children and should still be in prison. So either Kathleen Folbig is Australia's worst female serial killer and she's gotten a get-out-of-jail-free card, or she is a grieving mother who has had the worst kind of trauma inflicted on her, losing four of her precious babies, her marriage, and then losing 20 years of her life to the justice system. Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. And if you're not watching on YouTube, check out my videos on YouTube. All of my episodes are done in video format as well. Until next time, stay safe. Stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. I'm Dean. I'm the dad. I'm Laura. I'm the mom. And I'm Crislyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits, we are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like... The Origins of Fairy Tales. Sherlock Holmes. And the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's Corner. But behave, you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!